Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. So we'll be taking a look at Acts chapter 4 today. So if you're just listening along, that's fine. I'll read it. But if you're listening and uh, trying to read along or trying to study, take notes, you can feel free to open up to Acts chapter 4. But first, I want to kind of paint you this imagery. So first of all, I um, bought this toy uh, coming into this message because I think it really best illustrates uh, what I'm going for. And so um, I'm a big Star Wars fan. If you know anything about me, it's that uh, I'm a really big movie fan and which movie fan doesn't love Star Wars, you know? Uh, and so I um, also lost my home to a house fire. And uh, that was back uh, 10 years ago, 2008, so a little bit more than 10 years ago. And um, uh, I was 13 at the time. And so I had a lot of toys that all of a sudden I just didn't have anymore, which on one side is great because there's a lot of toys that I would have only held on to nostalgia for say- sake that would have just taken up space. Uh, but, at this, but at another point, I really don't have any memories of my childhood. I mean, I have memories, of course. There's some photos that we have that other people had given us. Uh, but this was also before the age of everything was digital. So there was no cloud uh, for everything to be stored on. So like a lot of my childhood um, just simply stopped existing in 2008. And so I've been slowly rebuilding some of the things that I desperately love, you know, like I'm a big Toy Story fan, so I bought myself another Buzz Lightyear, uh, but really I remember having this tons of, uh, of these Star Wars action figures. You know, I even had, um, yeah, I obviously had a Boba Fett and a Jango Fett, and I had uh, some of my favorite Jedis, uh, but I also even had some minor characters, pe- like people that nobody remembers, like at the beginning of Attack of the Clones, where Obi-Wan Kenobi goes to this um uh goes to this diner uh i had for some reason had an action figure of the the chef at this diner and um i bring all this up because i bought an obi-wan kenobi this week uh obi-wan kenobi is one of my favorite star wars characters i think he represents uh, a lot of what this main core of star wars is about him uh understanding and realizing uh that the what the Jedi Order actually is, but also kind of having some faults with the Jedi Order, especially with the Clone Wars arc we see. Uh, there's a lot of things that certainly frustrate him. Uh, and he is essentially Luke 1.0. I mean, Anakin, of course, has his uh, doubts with the Jedi Order, and he goes apart. But at least in terms of trying to to look and and maybe even consider a new way about going through things. And so... I have Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's one of my favorite characters. Now, if you don't know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is, uh, look, maybe you do know him because you've seen the movies, or maybe you simply know him because you know the memes and you know he's the hello there meme guy. Uh, or maybe you simply know him as the person that Grandma shared on Facebook uh, because somebody dared that they wouldn't share this picture of Jesus. You know, we all have that Grandma, right? And so, uh, so I have this newly bought toy of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and... Gosh, I, I just really love Star Wars, uh, and so um, I have several other toys, and it came in this really incredible box, right? Uh, and I just love um, seeing this toy. 
Uh, we'll come back to Obi-Wan Kenobi in a minute, for, but for now I just want you to sit there and, and, and think about that for a second. Now, uh, Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick up here, maybe you're already there, and that's good, uh, it takes place right after Acts chapter 3, which we talked about last week. And uh, what happens in Acts chapter 3 is that Peter and John are at the temple in the hour of prayer, and there's a man who is lame from birth, and they heal him with the direct spoken um, words in Jesus' name. They just say, walk. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this guy does. Uh, and so now we're left with the aftermath of this story, because that itself is an incredible story. But like all good stories, there's really an aftermath. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 4 here for a little bit. So uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. I'm reading from an ESV translation, by the way. This is uh, Peter and John before the council. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had uh, set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are beginning examining, or if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which had become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among them by which we must be saved." Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more against them or to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened him, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, or because of the people, for all were praising God for what has happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. All right, let's break this text down a little bit. I want to give you a little bit of what this text is actually saying and what are some of the little things that we should notice in picking up this text. And I promise it's all going to leave you somewhere. So number one, Peter and John are in the temple and they are um, arrested by the Sadducees. Let's start with the Sadducees because I think this is a word that we hear a lot, but we don't necessarily know what they are. So, so we have Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees are high teachers above the law. Um, they are essentially the, the Jewish council. Think uh, kind of in a way that the uh, hierarchy is for the Catholic Church, where you got popes and cardinals and all that. Um, the Pharisees are uh, these people for Jewish laws, except they are corrupt, and they are hypocrites, and they are 
um, really just against anything that goes against what they want to believe. And so the Pharisees are the people that when Jesus encounters a woman caught in adultery, um, they're about to stone her to death. And Jesus says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. These are the Pharisees, right? Well, the Sadducees are a different group because they are in a way similar because they are the Jewish enforcers of the law. But the Sadducees specifically had two distinctions. Number one is that the Sadducees did not believe uh, in the current Messianic prophecy. They believed that the Messianic prophecy was fulfilled in the Maccabean era, and so there was no future Messiah to come, like the end of the Old Testament promises. And then the other thing is that they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They thought that you you did not speak, you could not speak on resurrection of the dead. So, Peter and J, um, sorry, Peter and John are arrested at the temple by Sadducees because they are teaching in Jesus' name and the resurrection from the dead. So they are doing, they're preaching the two things that the Sadducees specifically hate. The two things that the Sadducees are specifically against. All right, so the Sadducees really have it out for Peter and John. Then uh, they're arrested, right? And they're arrested and they're held overnight because it's already in the evening and, you know, it's past business hours. So just wait there until the morning. Uh, this is notable because this is the first arrest in the book of Acts. Uh, and not only that, but this is really important um, because there are only three chapters after Acts chapter 3 that there is no form of persecution. Uh, so this is really the start of persecution because we so far have... Whole, uh, Jesus coming down, or Jesus um, coming to the disciples and ascending into heaven, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit descending, and Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John healing the lame beggar. Uh, and so all of a sudden, for the rest of the book of Acts, this is the apostles facing persecution. This is the first notable time, first time in the book of Acts, um, at least noted. So, um, so the next part that we really should notice is that the number of people, the, the number of men came to be about 5,000, it says in uh, verse 4. Now, 5,000 is important here because the people when in the biblical times, just the way they counted numbers, was just the way society did it, they only counted men. Now, so that goes for the Old Testament. So when it says something like there are 375,000 men in this tribe, uh, it really means probably closer to 12 to 15,000 because that's not including women and children, right? Um, or, um, you know, whatever the math would be. Uh, whatever, take it, multiply it by a lot. Uh, the 12 to 15,000 would have been for this 5,000 example. So if it's 375,000 people, expect closer to like, you know, 600 to 700,000 people, right? Uh, so realistically, there's roughly 12 to 15,000 people here. Now, this is important because later, um, we're going to get back to this because so many people witnessed what was going on. Uh, next thing to note is the, is the names of these people, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, right? So these are two people who are elders in the Sanhedrin. The high priest would have been overall the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is a word for this council uh, that was led by 71 priests, Sad, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, really, uh, and the high priest would have been overseeing the Sanhedrin. They were essentially, think of like the Supreme Court for the Jewish people, okay? Uh, 71 priests led by this high priest, okay? Um, and the other thing of note is that these uh, the Sanhedrin was part of Jesus's trial just a couple of months ago because we have Annas and Caiaphas presented in the, the the narrative of Jesus on trial before his death. So this is a, an important key because the same people that put Jesus to death are 
trying to put the apostles to death here as well. They're trying to silence them. They're trying to do whatever they can. And so, uh, so there is a lot of connection here. And even Peter, who was present during, uh, during a lot of this, this trial of Jesus, is present here again. Now, now let's stick with Peter for a minute, because Peter has a couple things to say. He says, number one, in verse 10, Let it be known to all of you, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you. Well, So, this phrase here that he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, is the third time that Peter uses this in the book of Acts. If you look at Acts uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 23 and 24, uh, Peter is talking, he says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it, right? And then again, in uh, chapter 3, verses four. Uh, 14, 15, 16, uh, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by the faith in his name, this man is made strong, whom you now see, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health and presence of you all. So, uh, Peter, for the third time, is saying the same verse in Acts. And I, I want to stick with Peter for just a little, a little second, because I want to talk about where Peter is at. Now, uh, Peter has a history of threes. Uh, Peter also has a history of being the ap uh, apostle, that, or disciple, really, that uh, sticks his foot in his mouth. The difference between apostle and disciple is apostle is somebody who is a dedicated follower of Jesus after his death. Disciples were actually around when Jesus was around. So the disciples were literally following the actual person of Jesus. Apostles come after Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, uh, in case nobody's ever made that clear. Um, so Peter is a disciple and he has a history of sticking his foot in his mouth. And really, he's one of my favorite stories because... He does a lot of mistakes that I think a lot of us would make. He, he makes assumptions about the kingdom of heaven, and he, t and he asks Jesus about them, and then Jesus criticizes him. Um, he, he makes assumption about the way that, uh, that, that Jesus does things, and then Jesus is like, hold on, I'm not doing that at all. And, of course, Peter um, definitely sticks his foot in his mouth by saying some things that he really shouldn't. Uh, but Peter is really present at a lot of these... Uh, a lot of these big moments in Jesus's ministry. So Peter is among the first apostles called, or disciples called, when Jesus is uh, is out um, and says, "I will make you fishers of men." Peter is present at the Transfiguration. Uh, Peter is literally named Cephas, which means rock. And so Jesus says, "On this rock, I will build my church." Peter is known as because of that phrase. Peter is known as the first pope, according to the Catholic tradition. Um, Peter was present at the trial of Jesus, and let me tell you, not many disciples actually were, if you read the narrative. So Peter is kind of this important guy, but Peter also has a history of doing things in threes. These set of threes really help us to define Peter's journey, because Peter has done all these great things, and then there comes this story in the end of chapter, in the end of Mark. In Mark uh, chapter 14, we get this story of Peter denying Jesus. Now, this is important. I picked the verse, book of Mark for this because uh, while, yes, the, the disciple Mark did write the book, uh, it's really more Peter's gospel because M P Peter was present for a lot of these stories and Mark was not necessarily present for a lot of these stories. So in a way, Peter, this is Peter's story told through the eyes of Mark. Um, this is, well, this is Jesus's story and Peter's interaction with Jesus told through the eyes of Mark. So, uh, we get to this, this time and Jesus is on trial in front of the Sanhedrin and, um, 
there's this there's this people accusing Peter of being one of the followers of Jesus. And Peter denies it, and one of and another person comes up and says, "No, I, I'm sure I've seen you." And Peter denies it a second time, and on the third time. Peter denying knowing Christ, the book of Mark says he began to invoke a curse and to swear, I do not know this man to who you speak. Now, if you look up this verse in Mark, this Mark uh, 14 verses 71, it might have to curse himself on there. But I'm here to tell you that in the Greek that there is no direct object in that sentence. It just says he began to call down curses and to swear. Now, to me, you could look at this one of two ways. You could look at this to say that Peter is calling down curses on himself to say, you know, like, hey, I am, uh, if, if I really know this guy, you know, then let me be smited or whatnot. That does make sense, right? But what makes more sense to me, if he really wants to prove his innocence and not knowing this person, is to call down curses on Jesus himself. Because if you are trying to deny knowing somebody, if you're trying to deny a relationship or affection for somebody, doesn't it make more sense to call down curses, to call down uh, swears on, on that other person that you are trying to deny? To me, that makes a lot more sense. And honestly, the implications of this, I could talk on for another three or four hours. But uh, the point of that is Peter just committed about the worst sin you possibly could. He denied knowing Jesus and he specifically uh, berated Jesus. He specifically called down curses. He specifically blasphemed the name of God to God's face. It really doesn't get much worse than that. See, Peter recognizes his wrongdoing, and he has this really incredible story later in the end of the book of John, in John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Um, Jesus comes uh, to the disciples after his resurrection, and he has this interaction with Peter on the sign. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Simon says, yeah. Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lamb. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you lo love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. you. Feed my sheep. And I think this is a great middle ground for Peter's story because if we take Peter's life in the terms of these three groupings of three statements, we have, first of all, his worst moment. And then here is his redeeming moment. And in Acts chapter 4, we get his aftermath, we get his epilogue, right? Because Peter has a lot of great stories, but I really feel like the start of uh, what makes Peter's story so special is when he denies Jesus because he, he is the worst of the worst in that particular moment. And this right here is Peter's redemption. Jesus comes to Peter and he encourages, he, he empowers him uh, to continue to, to know that his past mistakes are not what defines him, but how he chooses to go in the future just, uh, defines him. So Jesus says, tend my sheep. And so we get this third statement where, where Peter is preaching to the people that a couple of months ago he was denying Jesus. And we get Peter for the third time saying that this Jesus Christ who you crucified and raised from the dead, this, this parallel is just, this is the new Peter. And when the Sanhedrin are trying to decide, essentially, how do we kill this Jesus a second time? How do we stop this legend from spreading? How do we stop this story from spreading? Uh, they can't stop it. They can't deny it. They can't simply say it didn't happen because you got 5,000 men. So again, closer to 12 to 15,000 people that have witnessed what has happened. Well, it's really hard to cover up something when you have 15,000 people to witness it, right? So what's their other option? Well, their other option is they got to just stop the spread. And since they're the high council, they tell Peter and John, you guys can't do this anymore. 
You can't speak about this name. You can't do anything. And Peter, in what I think closes his redemption arc, says, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And this, to me, is the defining moment of Peter's story. Because Peter goes on to do some incredible things after this. Next week, uh, we're going to, or in uh, two two weeks, we're going to read about how uh, Peter heals somebody with his shadow. And that's one of the coolest stories. But to me, this is the defining moment of Peter's story. When he chooses to turn away from the old self that he used to be, the kind of self that denied Jesus, and we see the new Peter. See, I, I read this quote as I was studying about the book of Acts and that um, there's what happens is Pentecost, right? Uh, the, the descension of the Holy Spirit onto the earth, right? And so God is putting this big battle into motion. God is deciding to take back earth into his hands by sending himself down here with us forever. And then Satan has to launch a counterattack. Satan has to do... Uh, something to counter the spread, to counter the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he has to do some incredible works like start to persecute the disciples, get them arrested, um, put some people to literally stone them, to kill them. A lot of, all the disciples except for one die really horrible deaths. And the one that didn't die, John, um, from persecution, suffered a lot. Like he was boiled in oil. He was supposed to die that way, but he didn't. And he spent years in prison. And prison back then was not fun. I mean, prison is never fun, but really not fun here. And so these, so Satan launches this massive counterattack because he realizes that if he doesn't stop the church, that nothing will. And so we have the Sanhedrin, we have the Pharisees, we have the Sadducees. So we have people that are trying to contain the spread. And in the most crucial moment, in the most uh, crucial moment of this battle where the Sanhedrin is telling Peter, you've got to stop. Peter stands tall and says for the church collectively, we cannot. I've seen two good things that I cannot. And that's what's so beautiful about the story of Peter to me. That this person who was the worst of the worst becomes the most crucial fighter in the most crucial moment. I'll take you back to the beginning. Uh, when I talked was talking about Obi-Wan and this new toy that I bought. And I, I did this thing where for a while, I, the first Star Wars toy I bought uh, in a while was this Darth Vader, this titanium series from the Black Series, which if you buy in Star Wars toys, go for the Black Series, absolutely. There's no question about it. This is really detailed, and they're really great. And Gosh, I love this Darth Vader so much. Um, but for about two years, he sat in the box because... If you know anything about Star Wars, and specifically Star Wars toys, you know that they are the most coveted toys in the whole world. Um, in fact, just a quick uh, statistic for you. There's uh, the highest selling Star Wars toy that I could find was a original 1979 Boba Fett action figure with a rocket firing jetpack um, with a you know, spring. And this thing that would have cost $10 in a store when it came out, the equivalent of $10, sold recently for $150,000 because it's that coveted. But here's the thing, it's still brand new in a box, right? And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, this is a toy. It's meant to be played with. And if we keep our toys in a box, they never get played with. And 
this this child that has a toy that never gets in a box, that, that child never got to play with that toy. And what's the purpose of having toys if you don't play with them? So uh, I decided at that point that mm, my toys weren't going to stay in boxes anymore. I mean, I have a couple things that stay in boxes, but they're not really toys, right? Because like a Funko Pop, you like, can't really move it, right? And some of them that are like limited edition stay in their box. But like a, a toy is meant to be played with and a toy is meant to be brought out and used and Gosh, I can't help but think that this is a perfect analogy for faith, too, because I think so many of us have just kind of kept our faith in this nice little box. But gosh, that's so useless. Because Peter, looking at his story, when, when he was at the trial of Jesus, he decided to keep his faith in a box. He decided to, to, to preserve it, to, to try to keep it what, uh, what he thought was best. And God, he later discovers that that was the absolute worst moment he could make. And so when he is in front of the Sanhedrin again, he makes the complete opposite choice. He chooses to take you know, this metaphorical toy and play with it. He, take, he chooses to use it for what it's meant for. And gosh, if, if we decided as the church to use our faith, if we decided to, to take it out um, and put it into practice, guys, I think that the church would be unstoppable. I think that we would have exact replications of Acts chapter 4 where the Sanhedrin or some sort of equivalent is trying to stop the church from spreading. And guys, I think that we have a calling to stand strong and not only to stand strong, but to push back. But that we have to live lives in such ways. Uh, we have to speak in such ways that when people come up to us and confront us and say, hey, you really need to knock that off. But like, we need to have attitudes to say, how can I possibly silence myself? Because I have experienced something truly incredible in the form of Jesus Christ. And guys, I think that there is no greater calling for us than that. So that's my challenge to you this week is to... Uh, this year this lifetime whatever you want to put it as is that we have to live in a way that really lives true to that statement that we have experienced something so incredibly cool that we cannot shut up about it so this week this year this life whatever as you go speak <laughs>